Hello and welcome to the show that's really not sure what it's going to do with itself for 66 days. It's all over and we are here with warm handshakes for Fulham, Rotherham and Coventry and with comforting pats on the back of the head for Aston Villa, Shrewsbury and Exeter. After a long weekend at Wembley, there are no questions left to answer, no battles left to fight. Until next season, of course. But to discuss all of that and more, we've got Sam Parkin, we've got Matt Stanger, we've got Joe Crilly. And that means that this can only be the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Gentlemen, how are you? Very good, thanks, Ian. Good bit, weekend? Yeah, a bit sad that it's all over. It is, isn't it? Off on my holidays tomorrow. Oh, nice. So Where are you Anywhere nice? South of France. Oh. So I've got some bits to do in the West End today. Get nice. my uh, my little deodorant and my little toothpaste <laughs> to get into my little plastic bag. <laughs> they don't rob you of it at the gate. All's good. Still angers me now. Matt, you going anywhere nice? Going to Amsterdam, actually, at the Ooh, weekend. Very nice. Um, but that's about it, yeah. No, no other plans than that for oh. the whole summer. Joe, good while I'm asking everyone. Uh, Bolton, probably. Yeah. You win. <laughs> you win, Joe Crilly. Let's start off with the uh, with a big one, Fulham, Aston Villa. Uh, we discussed this a bit on the main show yesterday with James, uh, but I'm still quite surprised that Fulham won. I just figured, always at the back of my mind, I was thinking Aston Villa, experience, Steve Bruce, it would go, it would go their way. But Fulham were well worth it, weren't they, Sam? Yeah, no complaints at all. I thought they were amazing in the first half. Played a great final. Thought Kearney was the, the best player on the pitch by a country mile. Even went down to 10 men, keeping the ball, little nutmegs, running the clock down. Thought he was superb and very fit in that. He got the goal, but got a bit lucky because Fredericks, of course, in the first half, should have seen red. I, I can't understand at 1-0 up when they're coasting like that, why he did that in that close proximity to the touchline, to the fourth official, etc. It seemed bizarre. And this was really the surprising aspect of the game because Fulham kind of have a reputation, perhaps not entirely fair, of being, you know, sort of a bit fancy, lots of technical ability, maybe a little bit lightweight. But they basically kicked Jack Grealish all over the park, didn't they? I think that's how you've got to play against Jack Grealish almost now because we've talked about it on the show, we talked about it in the in the preview pod about how he's bulked up this season, he's so much stronger. And really the only way to get him off the ball is by resorting to those physical tactics. Um I'm not sure about Frederick's incident, to be honest. I, I, I didn't think it was intentional, uh, partly because it was so close to the touchline. I thought he can't have meant that. And the angles were sort of inconclusive. But Steve Bruce <laughs> certainly thought it was... Uh, <laughs> Sam, it Sam's making me. a face that suggests he does not entirely agree with you. To, to be honest, it's maybe similar to the O'Doy incident where... Grealish, like Odoi clearly didn't mean to kick or, or scrape his studs from Grealish's thigh all the way up to his neck, but uh, Grealish was just a, you know, a bit too clever for him. I just wanted to talk about Grealish's run, if I may, because of I've course. watched it back again this morning. I'm not a massive fan of the Ricky Villa goal. Um, I think that's the most overrated goal in history. <gasps> he, goes, he only goes past one player. Jack Grealish, <laughs> he did something on um, Tim Ream, I think it was. it was. He was going in full flight, running towards the goal and he did this drag back I don't think I've ever seen it before and he just bamboozled Ream and the strike in the end he actually went across the goal left footed I think it probably would have gone into the far corner the deflection actually made it an easier save for the goalkeeper and they raved about the the save on the the television I thought he was really unfortunate it would have been one of the great Wembley goals and he was brilliant they probably needed two other players Villa two or three other players at that level to give themselves a chance in that second half because they, they rallied, they were a lot better, they had to be, but they just didn't work better nearly enough, I think, in the end. What happened in the first half? Because they were really poor before half-time. I think Fulham were excellent 
I think we get a little bit bogged down on Fulham playing the same way and they haven't got a plan B. I, and I think Jukanovic has been really bright in just tweaking one or two things and that may be the fullback starting higher and a McDonald getting on the ball in between the two centre-halves or Sessegnon coming and playing infield, which is where the goal came from, and, and just playing Kamara, I think, from the off uh, in the last couple of games has made a huge difference. So credit to him, but I just think, I think Villa maybe needed to be a bit more aggressive and be a bit more positive. And they were in the second half. I think naturally you start a little bit higher, especially the full-backs, and, and, and being a bit more aggressive. And they, they had a much better performance in the second half, but just couldn't get the goal. We'll come back to Fulham in a, in a bit. Let's just talk a little about Villa, because where do they go from here? Steve Bruce has said that he, he wants to stay at the club, that he, he wants to have another crack at it. Do you think he'll get that chance, Matt? I think so much depends on the finances now at the, at the club because it, it, it's bleak, isn't it, really, Aston Villa's situation off the pitch. Uh, I mean, I, I was listening to Kieran Maguire, a lecturer in football finance at the University of Liverpool, discussing their situation on the BBC radio. And he was also talking about how it's the third year now parachute payment, so it drops down from about £35 million to £15 million. And apparently the average wage at Villa is nearly 30000 a week, which is just not sustainable at all in the Championship. And he was talking about players like Scott Hogan, whose contract he's apparently seen, about how he hasn't really delivered for one reason or another since his time at Villa. And they've got a lot of earners that haven't really come through for them. And so I think there's going to be serious cutbacks. And you wonder whether Steve Bruce, I don't, I'm not sure what wage he's on, but could he be one of those cutbacks? Or could he be frustrated with the situation he finds himself in? A bit like whoever goes and takes on the Derby job, where have Mel Morris talking about a new era of austerity at Pride Park. And some of these clubs that were going to be competing against the likes of West Brom, Stoke and Swansea who are coming down with those significant budgets from the Premier League. It's, it's going to be a difficult ask. Sam, how do we judge Steve Bruce? Because on the one hand, you've got people who will say he's got dressing room full of players on 30 grand Mm. or more a week, um, that a lot of money was spent, most of it before he came along, but it was still spent, and they haven't gone up. Or, on the flip side, has he actually, you know, kicked out the dead wood, revitalised the dressing room? You know, what's the judgment on him? I think he's done a pretty good job this year. I think there's been a really good spirit amongst the Aston Villa players. I think that was obvious to see in in the playoff games. I think they just lacked a little bit of quality to really threaten Fulham in a in a one-off game. But no, I think he's done a, a relatively good job. And it's a really difficult one. I mean, who else? They're not going to go with someone untested, I, I don't think, next season. So it's someone who's got that promotion experience and there's no one really better. So I'm kind of in the camp that maybe if he's given another opportunity just to rebuild, it's going to be fascinating to see what type of players they can bring in a lot of those loan players are going to go back to their parent clubs. So there's going to be a hell of a lot of movement. But I suppose Grealish, you'd have a better chance of keeping him, having him worked with Steve Bruce for the past 12 months. Local lad, is that going to be enough to keep him? I'm sure finances, again, are going to dictate that. But I think it'll be a risk to let Steve Bruce go and go completely with someone new. He's been uh, linked with Man United this morning, Grealish. Right. So when you've got clubs like that in the mix for him, I think it's going to be really difficult to hold on to him because he'll be looking at England jetting off to the World Cup in a couple of weeks as well and thinking, 22 now, you know, I could have been heading on that plane to Russia and he won't, will want to be there in four years' time and he'll wonder whether he can do that with Villa. But I think one thing about Steve Bruce is he's been there, he's done it before, he failed on this occasion, obviously, but he knows so many people in the game that if anyone can strengthen and rebuild at Villa even if they have to lose players like Grealish then he's the man he's already been linked with Abel Hernandez who's on a free transfer from Hull this season who obviously worked with previously if they bring in a goal scorer like that which is what they've really lacked all season then that could make a difference 
Okay. Um, round the room, would you keep him? I'll keep him. It'd be mad to get rid I'd of him. I'd absolutely keep Steve Bruce. I think he's done a great job. I'm in the balance, but yeah, I, I, I think give him another year. There you go. He's got our vote of confidence. Back to Fulham then. Uh, we've talked all season about various players, particularly Mitrovic and Sessegnon and all that, so we're done with that. They're up. Shahid Khan is saying that there will be money to spend, that he'll also be able to retain key players like Sessegnon. Which three positions would you want to strengthen in that Fulham team? Who's at risk? Probably Bettinelli. Um, obviously only came into the starting lineup halfway through the season. In December, I think he's been pretty solid, t- t- to be honest, but I think that they'll be looking at that being a position when they need competition for him. I, I imagine David Button will probably move on in the summer. Uh, I think they need to reinforce at centre-back as well. I was reading this morning, they've been linked with Aidan Flint uh, at Bristol City. He would make sense for them, someone who likes to obviously get forward for, from defence. Uh, I mean, you know, Dennis O'Doy, obviously uh, culpable for... Um, that pressure that Villa put on Fulham in the second half. Well, it was great to see him, the hero of the semi-final, bouncing up and down on the crossbow as though nothing had happened (laughs) uh, at at full time. Uh, And then I think they need to sort out the striker position as well. Mitrovic on a permanent deal. uh, I'm sure they'll pursue that, but they'll they'll want competition as well there because they've struggled to find people to lead the line this season. Sam, they look like the sort of team they're so... um, they, They know what each other are doing. They have a clear style of play. It doesn't feel like they need a lot of work to be done to stay up. No, I don't think so. I think it's um, it's a great base to build from, the type of football they've played, uh, especially. There was a resilience about Fulham as well. I spoke a lot this season about a game at Leeds I went to early on when they kicked um, seven bells of yeah out of, uh, <laughs> out of Fulham, tried to anyway, and they dealt with it on that occasion. I think in the Derby second leg they showed that and seeing out the game at the weekend. So there's a little bit of strength to the side, but I'd go along with, with Matt there definitely through the spine centre-half because I think the biggest decision in recent weeks has been... Callas, Adoy, uh, or Ream, you know, and I think Callas obviously still on loan. Piers on that that high on the right hand side position as well, which is obviously rotated quite a few players. Ayite's played there, Cabano. So I think someone maybe to be a bit more of a goal threat from from wide on the other side to Sessegnon. But I think they're in a great place, and what a position to be in with Tom Kearney. What you know, perfect for him to play next season the Prem, and of course Sessegnon, local lad to get. A whole season playing at your, your club you've come through at, it's, it's perfect really how it's worked out. Matt? I think we've said a lot about all the players at Fulham, but we should really talk a bit about Jukanovic as well and say what a brilliant job he's done there, especially with all of the um, difficulties off the pitch, shall we say, at the start of this campaign <laughs> with recruitment and everything else. And he's finally got that backing at Fulham that he totally deserves. And Tom Kearney was saying it was a victory for football <laughs> at full time uh, at Wembley on Saturday. And I think that's true because Fulham have played some of the best football in the division, along with Wolves all season. And it's, it's great to see actually a side that try and keep the ball like that and play away through teams be successful. And there's just one thing about Jukanovic's in-game management, which has been excellent all season, but the way he controlled that situation when they went down to 10 men, he made a sub a couple of minutes after, then he waited six minutes later, made another one, then he waited six minutes later, made another one. And it just kept killing the game and disrupting it a little bit and not allowing Villa to get that flow that they really needed and Grealish to really take control of things. And I just thought that was brilliant, the way he managed that situation for the last 20 minutes because Fulham were under a lot of pressure and he just kept easing it with those substitutions at at the right times. When those Premier League fixture lists come out he's going to be looking for Watford straight away isn't he yeah Watford and Chelsea where uh, he's been linked obviously with uh, with taking over there but uh, he, he he's talking about how he wants to stay and how he wants to Fulham to still play that style of football in the Premier League and I think that's great I think they're going to be 
really refreshing for the Premier League considering some of those teams in the bottom half this season. Well, absolutely. I mean, Sam, the, the level of quality in the bottom half of the Premier League is, you know, it's it's not that high, is it? No, I don't think there's a big difference at all. And um, I think they'll fit in really well. I think all three promoted sides have got going to make a really good fist of staying in a division. Neil Warnock, you can't write him off even though he's... It's been a bit tricky for him in the past when he's got into the top flight, but I think we're all in unison that Wolves. It should be a, a canter, shouldn't it, staying yeah. in the top flight? Um, Joe Crilly from William Hill. I am of the opinion that all three promoted teams will stay up. What do your numbers say? Um, well, our numbers think that you might be wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stupid numbers. Never tell me the odds. Um, but, the, I mean, this is these are the early prices before any business has been done over the summer. Cardiff are the favourites to go down at four to five. Fulham are the third favourites to go down at six to four with Huddersfield five to four in between them. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting um, mentioning the, uh, the, the, the battle, not battle so much, but Fulham uh, and Jukanovic and Watford. Uh, and Watford are the fourth favourites to go down at two to one. Ooh, time running out for them. Um, the Totally Football League show will be back next season and we'll have three new teams to talk about at this end and another two new teams from the other end. Stoke, West Brom and Swansea. What do you think they're going to make of the championship, Sam? Well, it's going to be difficult. Um, it's all about what kind of t- teams they put in place for, for next season. Uh, I was speaking about it a little bit in the last day or so and I fancy West Brom actually to be quite strong next season. I think they'd be the ones that jump out at me just because they're going to have the continuity of having Darren Moore in place early and they had a, a really good structure about them in the last weeks of the season so there's a bit of feel good about the place uh, and of course Stoke's going to be really interesting Gary Rowett there now yeah and of course yeah and of course that's the one thing missing from his CV really I think everyone is really um, I think everyone's been really impressed by what he's done in management so far but he's not had a promotion so that's going to be really interesting and of course Swansea very much up in the air uh, at this point in time, and the, the, the talk of the, the guy coming over from Norway, whose name escapes me, Graham Matt, Potter. You can help me, Graham Potter. Yeah, so that that would be an intriguing appointment. And uh, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, back them to get promotion at the first time of asking. Matt, who would who would you back for promotion at the first time of asking out of those three? Stoke, I think. I think Gary Rowett's a great appointment, and they've been a club that's sort of been not really going anywhere in Premier League for a while and I think they're probably prepared for this eventuality. I, I think, I really hope Darren Moore does well at West Brom because he, he really deserved that job and he, he did a brilliant job uh, in the last few weeks of the Premier League but it's a big one to take on and from everything you hear coming out of West Brom they don't have a huge amount of money to spend as well and they need a, a bit of reinvestment in that squad. Well, Joe Crilly from William Hill, uh, odds for next season in the second division. Yeah, Matt's uh, on the money there. Uh, Stoke are the favourites for promotion uh, and favourites to win the championship they're seven to one uh west brom are eight to one the same price as villa actually um we've been talking about players potentially leaving uh and not being much money left in the uh, in the pot for villa so i certainly wouldn't be backing them at that price to win the uh the league or even backing them at two to one uh for promotion and swansea are three to one uh for promotion and ten to one to win the division the same price as middlesbrough oh going to ask about Middlesbrough. Second season Tony Pulis, or first full season of Tony Pulis. They've got to be a good shout, aren't they? What are they to go up again? 3-1 to one to go up and 10-1 to one to win it. Excellent. And Blackburn, um, they're a shorter price than Bolton to get promoted. Yes. <laughs> first victory. Right. When we come back, League One.
You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out williamhill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. League One playoff final and while there is a temptation just to gather up Shrewsbury in our arms and rock them back and forth until their sobbing stops, let's start with Rotherham. Well done, Rotherham. Traumatic relegation last year, Sam. Came down with uh, 23 points. Paul Warren, first-time manager. Um, he's turned that club around and got them straight up at the first time of asking. That's a huge achievement. Amazing. Seems such a likeable fellow. I think that's the, the first point. The players seem to like him and really enjoy playing for him. And that doesn't happen too often, believe me, <laughs> across the board. So he And he seems like a workaholic. Everything you read, I think someone referred to him as the caffeine man or something the other day because he's just non-stop. He's one of those like has to play tennis to get some energy out before he does his real uh, day job. So done an amazing job. And I was just not surprised, but amazed at the, the strength of them, you know, the physical power of them during that game and playing against a really fit Shrewsbury side. It was really evident going into extra time, you know, to... Um, Normally, when you're going into that extra 30 minutes, you you can't call it because it normally just peters out, doesn't it, to a penalty shootout. Everyone was saying Rotherham are going to win this in the extra 30 minutes. So that just showed you how much in control they were, really, throughout the game. So, yeah, great achievement from, from Paul Warner and a guy who knows the club inside out. Great appointment and looking forward to seeing what he can do next season. Matt, I mean, that really sums Rotherham up, doesn't it? In control all the way through the playoffs. They, they just looked like they were meant to go up. Definitely, really well organised team and very tenacious and they really went after Shrewsbury in, in the first half and uh, and continued to press after Shrewsbury had that spell where they got the equaliser afterwards. I think as soon as Carlton Morris was taken off, that was a big turning point in the game really because uh, he was playing pretty well and Linnell John-Lewis came on and didn't really do a great deal. Lost Wood obviously for the goal in extra time when he was supposed to be marking him and I think when Carlton Morris went off. Rotherham smelled blood a little bit and, and he stepped it up again and uh, yeah, they very much deserved the victory. And let's talk about Richard Wood, the wrecking ball, <laughs> dreadnought of a third division defender. I was on the Rotherham message board before last week's show and there are a few people not being particularly complimentary about his, his abilities and, and his contribution to the team. They may have rethought that now, Sam. Yeah, and it's an amazing story because he, he's had some loan moves away from there in the last few years. So not fancied by some managers. I mean, I used to play against him in the early noughties when he was at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, it was a game that I enjoyed. You know, I much preferred playing against the big aggressive centre-half. So we had some good tussles back then and still doing it now. So that's testament to his character, his professionalism. And yeah, I felt a little bit sorry for, for Beckles because the first couple... He looked in real trouble and um, it's very difficult when someone's getting the run on you. They've got good movement. He came from very deep as well, Wood. He's obviously done that throughout his career and you've got a real, you're in a real predicament uh, as a team and as a, as a staff. To, to Do you reshuffle it, put another marker on him? Um, and I don't feel that going with a centre forward ultimately was the right call probably um, and it led to the winner. So... Uh, they were, um, had a real tough challenge, you know, marking him at the weekend. He did fantastically well, and, and, a, and a brilliant story. You know, two goals for the uh, for the uh, the rock at the heart of that defence. Matt, within the stats community, there is a kind of school of thought that corners are dramatically overrated and hardly ever lead to goals. Anyway, I don't think those boys have seen Richard Wood play because those that, those headers were going in regardless of who got in their way, weren't they? 
Yeah, it's that old line, isn't it, of like who wants it more? And, yeah. and, and he really, really wanted it, and uh, he was a threat all afternoon. Set piece. Obviously, it was Beckles uh, fouling Wood to get a penalty mm. early in the game as well, and then he scored twice from set pieces. And I, I feel for Beckles as well because uh, it's the curse of the Totally Football League show striking again right at the end of the season, <laughs> where we talked him up in the preview, and he has been brilliant all year playing at left back, and he just looked a little bit shell shocked at Wembley. Um, for them to to do this after David Ball had missed that penalty as well um, in, in the first half, you know, the Rotherham players must have thought, oh God, this isn't going to be our day. Yeah, completely, but uh, serious belief in that team, uh, which we saw in the semi-finals as well against Scunthorpe. And, uh, and I think... They've got ultimately as well. It came down to I, I always felt that you know I backed Shrewsbury to win, but I always felt if it goes to extra time, then Rotherham probably will be the stronger of the two teams because they have a stronger squad overall. They have better options coming off the bench. Williams obviously came on, uh, almost scored towards the end of uh, normal time. Dean Henderson produced an absolutely superb save to deny him, and 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 uh, those changes really did help Rotherham keep that impetus. Let's go to Shrewsbury then. Um, we've really enjoyed watching them this season, and we in the previews we went down that dark lane of if they don't win this is all going to get they're going to get pillaged aren't they and it's already happened Ipswich Town have permission to talk to Paul Hurst he's going to go isn't he Sam looking that way and such a shame because he tried everything he changed hotels Uh, Matt Sadler texted me the night before they were staying in Sopwell House which is St Albans where, where we used to live so uh, he changed from a suit into a tracksuit, I understand, just before kick-off Paul Hurst to try and just change the dynamic after that that Lincoln defeat. And, yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens now. But you can see on the face of it why Ipswich are going to go for him. I mean, he's been outstanding. He's the manager of the year if they'd have won that, you know, yeah. in, in my opinion, or the Checker trade. He's manager of the year. So, unfortunately, um, John Coleman still for me. But <laughs> I just think Ipswich, not a great deal of money to play with. We're imagining the way that they haven't gone for Lampard in the end. I think that looks like that was the stumbling block. But shoestring budget at Shrewsbury, can he translate that to the higher level? That's what they'll be hoping, the Ipswich hierarchy that Paul Hurst can do. Matt, it's a sensible decision for Hurst, isn't it? Ipswich are not a club who sack managers lightly, so he will almost certainly get time. Absolutely. I think it's uh, it's a smart move for her, sadly, and I'm sure it'll still be a wrench to leave Shrewsbury. But he was talking at the end as well about player contracts and how he said he would have to give some bad news to some members of the squad who, after missing that promotion, are going to be released. And, and it is terrible for Shrewsbury. And you almost feel as though there should be some sort of financial reward yeah. for, for the team <laughs> that, that has an amazing season and beats all the odds to even get to the playoff final. And, and then it's that whole thing as well about... The, they were third by, I think they finished nine points ahead of Rotherham in the end. And they really deserve to go up this they, year. So they spent over 200 days in the top two. They played 62 games um, with a relatively tight squad as well. Paul Hurst is almost certainly going, who else is going to get swiped? So three players that have been absolutely key for them all season are going because Morris and Godfrey are on loan from Norwich and Henderson's going back to Manchester United. His contract's actually up as well. So uh, I was wondering whether Aston Villa, as an aside, could be interested in him because obviously they had Sam Johnston. He's gone back to United after his 18 months on loan. So, so he'll be someone that's very much in demand. John Nolan probably go to Championship. Enciala, Beckles. It is looking like this squad will be taken apart. And I think, though, there's two ways to look at it, isn't it? There's, there's, what's what's that line about? Uh, 
crying that it's over or just uh, smiling that it happened in the first place. And uh, oh, bless you! You're a walking greetings card. <laughs> well, it's it, it sounds yeah, it sounds almost patronising at the end of what what a, brilliant a season. But this <laughs> but this has been a fantastic year for Shrewsbury, and I think that they should always look back on this team and their achievements. Getting to Wembley twice is just a, a brilliant year in that in that football club. And some of those players, I mean, some will stay on, and hopefully they'll get another young, hungry manager in who, uh, like Hurst, has had to come up through through the hard way, come through non-league uh, football, and uh, does a similar job. All right, Joe Crilly from William Hill. Um, let's talk about the guys who went up first. It was, of course, the three relegated teams from last season, Blackburn Rovers, Wigan Athletic and Rotherham, um, all bounding straight back up. Can they get two promotions on the bounce, any one of them? Matt, are you feeling confident about Blackburn on their return to the championship? I think it all depends on what Venkis want to do. And it's the same with Wigan. They've got uh, new Chinese investors coming in. They've said that they'll spend, but... Are they going to live up to those promises? So I think, yeah, it's all about whether the owners at Wigan and Blackburn uh, want to. And then Rotherham, I think they're going to maybe struggle a little bit. And what are those numbers, Joe? Blackburn are 16 to 1 for promotion. Uh, Wigan, uh, who I heard a little rumour about uh, the money might be drying out uh, at Wigan uh, unless they get some investment. Uh, they are 10 to 1 for promotion. Rotherham, 20 to 1. So, I mean, if you, if you go down to the bottom of the table, you're probably looking at the, uh, at the more likely prices, uh, uh-huh. with Rotherham's second favourites to go down at 13 to 8, uh, Blackburn, 5 to 1, and Wigan, 9 to 1. Who are the favourites to go down? Bolton Wanderers. <laughs> I was hoping you weren't going to ask that. Uh, Bolton at six to four, uh, but it's incredibly tight. And uh, we've mentioned Ipswich with Paul Hurst perhaps going there. They're fourth favourites to go down at Oof. two to one. Uh, let's talk about League One then. Um, who do we think is going to top that next season? I mean, South End, obviously. <laughs> He's <laughs> <laughs> not having any of it, is he? <laughs> um, Sunderland are the favourites uh, to get promotion. They're actually odds on uh, to go up. Um, Good luck with that. Yeah, uh, Portsmouth second favourites at eleven to four, and it, it's quite interesting to see Luton up there at nine to two. But uh, teams that have gone down: uh, Barnsley three to one, uh, third favourites, and uh, Burton eleven to two. Uh, Southend? Southend for promotion. Wasn't even joking, you know. 14 to 1, which again means that you're probably better looking at uh, the bottom of the uh, the table. Or, or does it? Because that sounds like value to me, Joe. <laughs> when we come back, League 2. All right, uh, in these playoffs, um, yeah, I've I've liked all of the teams in the final, and, and wouldn't really begrudge anyone anything. But Coventry City, for anyone, deserves you know this glowing feeling of uh, of pleasure in football. It's the Coventry City fans, and they won handsomely at Wembley yesterday, didn't they, Sam? They did, and uh, I had the opportunity to mingle with a few of those uh, elated supporters uh, last night, and um, yeah, it's been horrendous, hasn't it? But the more the season went on, the less and less we were talking about the off-field stuff, and you know that feel-good factor seemed to be coming back with some great displays and a lot of local young talent, talented boys in that squad, and Bayliss, fantastic again, uh, Willis, the, the centre-half of Coventry boy, getting an outstanding goal. And they just looked to have a little bit more creativity, I felt, in, especially at the top end of the pitch. I thought McNulty, very important and well-aided by the big man, Biamu, as well. So 
yet they were by far the better side. And I think, you know, along with the other two games, you can't have any two, any any complaints really at the victors. Matt, all season long, I've thought it's very odd to have a manager of the calibre of Mark Robbins in the fourth division. Um, and, and now he's no longer in the fourth division. What a job he's done. He's done a superb job. We, we spoke about it in a preview show and uh, everything that he's had to contend with there and fans obviously in, in revel against the owners f- throughout the season. But you just look at the potential of that football club. I mean, if I had the money, I would, I would be putting in a bid for Coventry City because they took 40,000 fans to yeah. Wembley yesterday. After everything, they, they still have those those loyal supporters backing them all the way. It's the first promotion that they've had since 1967. Long, long suffering supporters, <laughs> even before the, the, the Sisu debacle. But Joy Seppler, the Sisu boss, was uh, in the Wembley crowd yesterday. And you'll know what she's thinking whenever she sees those 40,000 Coventry fans celebrating a promotion and, and thinking, you know, surely they've got to try and celebrate this football club as, as soon as possible and there's so much potential within the squad as well Sam mentioned it there the youth players there was four of the starting 11 in uh, in Monday's final who've come through the youth system at, at Coventry there was six of 18 in the squad there's a few youth players that they've sold to other clubs Ben Stevenson George Thomas uh, over the course of this season from last summer so Mark Robbins has, has done a fantastic job but really I hope someone's looking at that club now and thinking there, there's a Incredible spirit among that fan base to try and capture and, and take Coventry back to where they should be. Yeah, and plus, if you're a prospective owner and you're worried about, you know, because things do go bad for owners sometimes and they catch a lot of flack, you'd really have to go some to be worse than the lot you're buying off, really, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. And um, there was some nice um, timing, timed booze yesterday when they were lifting the trophy and then there was a shot of the owner. <laughs> in it. Obviously, all the Coventry supporters could see in the stadium, so that was quite nice as well. But... Yeah, it's not been great for a, for a number of years. They had the checker trade win last year, so they had that little taste of success at Wembley. And 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 yesterday, they were superb. But yeah, Robbins is is vitally important keeping hold of the manager. That is crucial. And I think Doyle was really important yesterday. Should have been sent off, but the way that he kind of leads those younger players, I think that's been really pivotal this season. And I'd just like to mention the best thing about that final, which I read this morning. Mark Robbins and Paul Tisdale were teammates at the Greek club Panio. Pani Onios. Nice. Yeah, nice. 20 years ago. I thought that's yeah. excellent, whoever found that. <laughs> Did you know that, Matt? web we weave. No, maybe they shed a grapper at full time. Don't know why I said that. <laughs> Mark Robbins, moving very swiftly on. Uh, afterwards, he said, we've got to look at moving forward at the Rico, building bridges where needed. The connection between the players and the supporters is massive. It's fundamental. Um, he's, I mean, he's absolutely bang on. One of the things I've noticed over the back end of the season, is, as you were saying, the spirit in that club is really, really tight within that dressing room. We had um, uh, Michael Doyle um, praising Mark McNulty for you know going running through injuries just to complete the season like this. Uh, McNulty returning the favour. Uh, he says uh, a club the size of Coventry. If we keep the players, because we've got some great young players, you know, really got chance. And the likes of Michael Doyle, he doesn't look like he's slowing down, and he helps everybody. So everyone's sharing the praise around. I mean, that that bodes well for the future, doesn't it, Matt? Definitely. I think you, you look at Minolti's attitude. I mean, he didn't score on Monday, but he was a match winner. Set up two of the goals. Uh, I was looking at the stats for his season. I think that is 28 goals and 11 assists for him uh, in 52 appearances in all competitions. But he doesn't look like a prima donna, does he? He's, no. clear, he's clearly too good for, for League Two. But like you're saying, the, the camaraderie in that squad, especially with the younger players, I think some of the more experienced players, Michael Doyle, the old warhorse, obviously midfield, got promotion with Portsmouth as well last year. That experience really telling. Uh, they've really looked to bring on the likes of, of Bayliss and Shipley and... 
and they look like they'll do well, I yeah. think, in League One next year. They look like a team who's who's uh, invoked that no dickheads rule in the dressing room. That they're just like, let's get people who are going to get their head down, they're going to work, and they're not going to ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, good rule to have. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we should try it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Exeter, Sam. Um, oh, it all started so well this season. Runaway leaders at the start of the season and then gradually falling back, got back into the playoffs. But it just feels like, in, in so much as everything is so tight in the dressing room at Coventry, it's kind of the opposite at Exeter. It feels like it's all unravelling. Yeah, it was a difficult day yesterday. I think the record books... Uh, tells us that normally if you've been beaten the previous year, you come back and win promotion. So they just didn't really turn up yesterday. I mean, you can't account for the quality of the goals. Maybe, you know, the midfield players can close them down before the strike, etc. But some outstanding goals from Coventry. And I just felt for Exeter yesterday, if they'd have had Ollie Watkins, who was sitting in the stand watching on, or Dave Wheeler, it could have been a different story. They missed a little bit of an attacking threat and, um, you know, I think the misconception sometimes with Paul Tisdale's side is that it's all pass, pass, pass. But yesterday you, you saw they can go direct and they do go direct if it warrants it towards Jaden Stockley. And they didn't have any people really around him, which I felt Coventry looked a hell of a lot more threatening at the other end. So Have, have they got a right to be upset about Michael Doyle's um, what, what could be considered a forearm smash? Of course, but um, Michael Doyle probably does that most weeks. <laughs> so... <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, that's the type of player he is. And it, it was one of those, it was a bit mischievous and um, he probably, being the experienced guy he is, he probably had a little look at where the referee was looking or where the referee's assistant was placed and just knew that he could halt the guy's run. Probably hasn't got the mobility to match someone's run into the box, uh, you know, throughout 90 minutes. So it was cynical and, and the referee should have seen it. So fortunate that's that they got fortunate with that one, but... Across the piece, I felt they were by far the better side. And um, a shame because I've got some mates in that side. Uh, Jordan Moore-Taylor was there when I was there. Jordan Tilson. Couldn't meet two nicer young lads. Great attitudes. Ryan Harley's a mate of mine. And um, yeah, I felt for them yesterday. And, and of course, like you touched on, Ian, I spoke to a few of them after the game. There was no big farewell from Paul Tisdale. Keeps his own counsel, as he has done towards the end of this season with the, um, of course, speculation about his future and, and MK Dons maybe looking to take him. So that's going to come out in the next few days and uh, going to be really interesting to see. Matt, happens. Paul Tisdale has sounded uh, very gloomy in recent weeks. Uh, there's a quote here from The Times. It says, uh, being served my notice 18 months ago, it's been rather surreal. I don't know if the supporters get together on the terraces and decide they've had enough. Is that how it works? Did it reflect all the opinions? Probably not. There's a there's an Eeyore-ish uh, about him now, isn't there? Yeah, well, it's the end of a, an era, isn't it? I mean, he's been there for a long, long time. Uh, longest serving manager in the Football League after, uh, after Arsene Wenger's departure and probably going to go himself this summer. And you can see why he's frustrated with uh, the reaction from some of the supporters after taking Exeter to a second successive Wembley playoff final. Um, and he, he will have been really disappointed as well because regardless of what decision he has to make on his his future... This summer, he will obviously have liked to take the club back into League One and uh, for them to not really turn up at all at Wembley uh, will have been huge frustration. Yeah. Um, where do Exeter go from here, Sam? It's gonna, mean, he's it's, off, isn't he? Yeah, it, it looks that way. It's going to be so interesting. Obviously, Steve Perryman, that's him, finished now 15 years um, as director of football. So there's a good backroom staff there. Matt Oakley 
Um, Andy Tilson's there as well, Jordan's dad. So whether they go from someone within, what it has to be at Exeter because of the way it's run, because of the chairman, Julian Tagg, it's going to be someone that's going to have to be a perfect fit in that jigsaw because Tiz has done everything at that football club from top to bottom. So the next appointment, if it's uh, not going to be Paul Tisdale signing a new contract, it's going to be really imperative for their future. But what they continue to do and what he deserves enormous credit for is producing these young players. And they showed the figures yesterday on the TV. I think it's close to five million they've brought in. Matt Grimes, Ethan Ampadu, you know, some lads that really would derail some much bigger football clubs, I think, in the Football League. And somehow Paul Tisdale... Uh, has put together team after team after team. So they deserve enormous credit there. And it's going to be a sad day, really, because he's been he's been fantastic for that club. Joe Crilly, William Hill, let's talk about those newly promoted uh, teams. Who's got the best chance of doing well in League One? Is it uh, Coventry? Um, not quite, but it's, it's a split between the four teams. Um, if you look at the relegation prices... Um, Accrington are down there, Wickham are down there. Accrington are actually favourites to go down with Gillingham at six to five, Wickham seven to four. But if you look at the uh, the promotion prices, um, you'll you'll find Coventry and, and Luton actually a lot closer towards the top of the betting than at the bottom. Luton are nine to two, fifth favourites to go up, uh, and Coventry uh, at eight to one uh, look like a decent shout, especially if they play like they did on uh, on Monday. Absolutely, and League Two, um, Exeter. It must be very hard to set a price on Exeter because we have no idea what's going to happen to them. Um, but you you would expect them to be sort of there and thereabouts. And, and what of the teams coming down from League One? It's incredibly difficult um, to do League Two because of the amount of turnover that you get uh, pretty much with, with every every single team. Um, Exeter are towards the uh, the top of the betting. Um, they are 11 to 4 to go up. Um, but that's uh, that still makes them about fifth favourites uh, in the promotion betting. MK Dons are the favourites to go straight back up at 7 to 4. Um, and then of the other sides that have come down, you've got Berry at 11 to 4. You've got Northampton at 2 to 1. Uh, and Berry and Oldham both at eleven to four. Got anything on the new boys? Two teams we're going to be looking at next season: Tranmere Rovers and Macclesfield. Yeah, in the uh, in the promotion market, Tranmere are six to one to go up. Macclesfield seven to one. Um, and if you are looking at relegation, um, Macclesfield are kind of in there as are Tranmere. Actually, they're both the same price, eleven to two. Uh, but that doesn't make them uh, favourites. Morecambe and Yeovil are the uh, the two favourites to go down. All right, and that is it. That was the 2017-18 season on the Totally Football League show. 40 shows, Matt. 40 shows. Whew. 39 for you, actually. You had Lurgy once. Oh, 39 cheers. shows. We have got this far, though, Matt. Uh, well, we couldn't have done it with, without a, a great number of people. Uh, most importantly, you, dear listener, for listening to it and talking about it and sharing it. And you, Joe. You and William Hill. Thank you for giving this show the support it needed to cover the Football League properly. It was, it was a no-brainer. It's, it's been a, a laugh. Oh, God bless you. Thanks to the Fan League as well. Can I just ask one question to Joe? Yeah. Joe, how do you feel about Tim Ream playing in the Premier League again next season? Hey, he's been there and done that. <laughs> he's used to relegation as well. <laughs> <laughs> fan League, 
Thank you very much for that. We've all enjoyed playing that, haven't we, Matt? We have. Excellent. Uh, producer Ben, producer Tayo, producer Abby, they've all taken the wheel at some point this season. They've made us sound vaguely professional. Sam Parkin and Caroline Barker, our two mainstays in the studio, making us look good. And uh, we, we also have to thank Alex McLeish, Chris Powell, Chris Ramsey, Ian Barraclough, David Priest, Martin Allen, Justin Edinburgh, Gregor Robertson, George Alec, Ali Maxwell, Adam Bates, Simon Watts, and I really hope I haven't forgotten anyone else in there. Um, Matt, you know, you know something? What? We've had a good first season. It's been great. I yeah. really enjoyed it. I think it's been a good one. But there's still so much more we can do to get better. And we've got plans. There are changes. So enjoy your World Cup, everyone. Enjoy your holidays. Uh, the Totally Football League show will return in August, better than ever, with one major change. I love you, Matt. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you next season. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Before you go, we want to tell you about what's coming down the Totally Football pipe before things kick off in Russia. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking ahead to the other international tournament taking place this summer, the Kanifa World Football Cup, and it's happening right here in England. Kanifa, what, you say? Well, it'll see states and peoples like Cascadia, Tibet and Matabeliland and other non-FIFA affiliates that I can't pronounce going head-to-head over 11 days in London. There are a few rule changes and loads of amazing stories about the players taking part, like this. Uh, they only have one football pitch in the whole area and it's made of rubble and stone and cows frequently pass the pitch, literally directly through the pitch. In terms of, like, you look at teams having a difficult run into a tournament, there's... Is, is pretty much the hardest I've ever heard of. It, which actually included a 20-hour bus journey to one of their games on just a, a public bus. So I think when you look at, yeah, how hard it can be to get to a World Cup for a, a FIFA team, th- this is sort of next level. We looked into anti-diving shin pads, however they work. They flash up when there's contact on them. Check back on the Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.